Before I jump into the passage uh, today, we're going to be looking at in Acts chapter 5. Um, I've had several people ask me about something, and certainly I hope you've been praying for the church and the community in Texas. Uh, you know about uh, the individual coming in and tw- about 25 or so, 27 people uh, dying. Um, hopefully you know about that. You watch the news a little bit. Um, you need to know and rest assured that we have an amazing response team here. Uh, Eric Van Dyke is on the back row right now. Uh, he usually sits on the back row. Eric, wave if you would. Uh, he sits back there for a reason, but um, we have an amazing response team and people who have gone through a lot of training and everything else, you don't have anything to worry about. What we need to be doing is we need to be praying for those who are impacted by people who don't know Jesus and who are struggling in life and who are hurting. Um, but we just wanted to make sure you're aware of that. Um, and we have game plans for pretty much everything around here uh, as God continues to grow uh, the brothers and sisters that he's bringing together in this place. Um, that's interesting talking about the church. You know, the church, the church is broken. You know, you think about the, the early church, and the, the beginning of the early church was glorious. The, the beginning of the early church was fantastic because here comes Holy Spirit, blows in, and just, I mean, it was this thunderous clap. It was this thunderous wave of Holy Spirit coming in and moving and doing phenomenal things. And the result of that was people who were praying together and worshiping together and they were sharing with one another. And the joy, I think the joy of the early church was all but overwhelming. Um, The result was explosive. Uh, Very quickly, they say the the number went from about 120 to about 15 to 20,000 before you knew it. Because even in the midst of hardship, they weren't praying that the hardship would end. They were praying that they would be bold in sharing in the midst of hardship. And that's what's happening. That's what was being fostered in the early church. It was this wonderful time. And it tells us in Acts chapter 4, if you, if you, if you go, and, and the book of Acts written by Luke, it's his second book that he's written. He wrote the Gospel of Luke, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are the four Gospels. And then in the book of Acts, he continues to write again. And it tells us that everyone had everything together, and they were all unified. In Acts chapter 4, in Acts chapter 4, verse 32 and following, is how I concluded the service last week. It tells us that they had all things in common, that they had this unity and unity is hard, right? Complete unity is tough. Complete unity doesn't mean that you always agree with one another, but you agree to move forward with one another. There's one way to be able to think about it. You know, anybody, it doesn't matter who the president of the United States is, if they get 51%, they're like, yes. I mean, it's not a chase toward unity. It's a chase to 51%, right? Unity is hard. Unity is difficult. And yet it tells us that's what they had. And not only did they have this unity, but out of that, God's blessing was on all of them. And there was outrageous generosity. Outrageous generosity. Now, I I do think that that was interesting um, because we do believe, I believe that um, God is forming a new temple. He was forming a new temple in his people that we now have Holy Spirit living with us. That's what he was giving to us. Pentecost, that's part of what took place. And now these individuals were providing for others in radical ways. If you go back to De- Deuteronomy chapter 14 and 15, um, what you discover is really that was the role of the Old Testament temple to provide for people in such a way. They're not doing it in the way they should. And so God being coming in the Holy Spirit and filling individuals in the New Testament church, all of a sudden that's what they're doing. And they're giving generously to the church to provide for people, to help and to care for them. 
And so all of these things are happening. You can imagine the enthusiasm that they had to be together as his church. It was audacious giving. Barnabas was the one who was used as an example of a powerful witness. Someone who went and sold his land, brought it to the feet of the apostles for it to be used in loving and caring for other people and for the church. It was audacious giving. Audacious giving was a result of being filled with the Spirit. Audacious giving was a result of being filled with the Spirit. And that's what was unfolding amongst them. Now, if it goes from 120 people to 15 to 20,000 this quickly, you can imagine Satan wanted to put a stop to it. Satan wanted to be able to put a stop to it. And so Satan came in and he realized that he wanted to, to, to cope with this, to deal with this. And so the persecution really began to ramp up. We certainly find it in Acts 6, 7, 8. Uh, certainly with Stephen who is the first Christian martyr as he's speaking to the Sanhedrin. And, and they take him out and they stone him. Uh, the persecution keeps coming. But even already it's starting to come and to manifest, it, manifest itself. And the persecution was growing quickly. But here was the thing that Satan didn't count on. The more that they were persecuted, the more they prayed, the more they prayed, the more that they were filled with the Holy Spirit, the more they were filled with the Holy Spirit, the more boldness they had, and the more boldness they had, the more they shared, and the more people came to know Jesus Christ. That was the New Testament church. Right? I mean, that's what was happening. That's what was taking place. And so they became bolder in their faith they became bolder in sharing with other people god was real christ was alive and the holy spirit was moving and satan wanted to get in there and make sure that it stopped but the persecution didn't help it actually triggered him to live more boldly for jesus christ and that's so many of you guys, right? You feel Satan coming and you feel the persecution, you feel the hostility. And so you just stand stronger in the name of Jesus. And you say, bring it. Have you met my God? And you live boldly for him. You live boldly for him. And so I think Satan took a different route. What he did is Satan realized that the persecution wasn't really working out very well. And so he wanted to get inside. He wanted to distinguish or extinguish the, uh, the fire at its base. And we come face to face here with an incident in Acts chapter 5 of sin in the church. Now, um, I need to go ahead and tell you right now, today is a special day. If it's your first Sunday here, today is our Pledge Sunday. Um, God is growing and blessing the ministry of Chapel Point. You always see new faces here, and we're humbled to be a part of God's work and God's movement. And so we're expanding into the woods, and uh, that's, we now have those 20 acres as well, and God is doing great things. Come the end of March, early April, we've got bulldozers moving. Um, that um, We could save some money and we could all get a shovel. We don't know how we're going to do that yet. Um, but God is moving and doing some great things. And so here it is, Pledge Sunday. Later on, you're going to have an opportunity, everybody, to come. Grab a pledge card if you don't already have yours with you. And to put it in the box and to share in that as a community of believers. But it's of all days, God told me I need to preach Acts chapter 5. Ananias and Sapphira. And God and I, we had it around and around on this one. I need to go ahead and tell you. God and I had many conversations and prayers about whether or not I should be preaching this because nobody would tell me to preach this passage on today. And God, once again, was victorious. And so I'm simply trying to be obedient 
Because here comes Satan, and he wants to get into the middle of that church, and he wants to do everything he can to throw as much water on the flames of the Holy Spirit and what's moving and what's happening. And it tells us really in Acts chapter 5, please, please hear this. Acts chapter 5 is a way that Satan works to dismantle and to disarm churches. It's why so many churches, 85 roughly, it depends on what survey you're reading, somewhere between 80 and 90% of churches are dying today. And it's because, first of all, I think you have to recognize your, you should always recognize your weaknesses, and you should always recognize how Satan works and how Satan moves. Because then you can combat it better. You can pray harder. You can be more diligent as you walk forward in life. And so Satan comes in and he begins to move and it's heartbreaking. It's a heartbreaking text because it's the beginning of what has continued to plague and to debilitate the church. Even today. Acts chapter 5. Jumping out of this example with Barnabas at the end of Acts chapter 4, 32 and following. And this guy who came and gave it all. He jumps into Acts chapter 5. And I want to read it for you at the very beginning. It says this. It says, but a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property, and with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it. Now, I want to go ahead and go back. Verse 2, and with his wife's knowledge, they did this together. He kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it, laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why? Listen to this. Why has Satan Filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit. When you're lying to others, you're also lying to the Holy Spirit. And to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land. While it remained unsold, did it, not, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man but to God Verse 5 says, when Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard it. The young men rose, wrapped him up, carried him out, and buried him. Ananias and Sapphira always remind me of the fact that um, as sons and daughters of God, we were made to be spiritual containers. We were, made to be, we were made to carry Christ, carry Holy Spirit. We were made to be spiritual containers. And so you have to ask yourself, what are you carrying? What are you holding within your own life? What does that look like for you? Because obviously Ananias and Sapphira, here are two people who they weren't carrying the right thing. We have to examine what we're carrying, whether it's jealousy or whether it's envy. The scripture asks, why have, you let, why have you let Satan fill your heart? Why have you let Satan fill your heart? And then it says that he lied not to them, but to God. But to God. I mean, guys, it's deep within us from the time that we're born. It's because of the fall in the garden. We have a sin about us. Uh, the other night, my, my six-year-old, um, I said, Bennett, did you take a shower? And, and literally, he goes, yes. I said, why isn't your hair wet? I forgot. 
And so he gets back in the shower and takes a shower and actually puts water on his head now, right? He just flat out lied to me. And then after that, I said, well, did you brush your teeth? He goes, yeah. I said, let me go check your toothbrush. It's bone dry. And he goes, I used my finger. <laughs> I said, no. I mean, you, he just flat out lied to me. We had a long conversation, and Melissa has to come in and remind me, Joel, he can only take so many hours of discipline, like he doesn't absorb it anymore. And so then I have to pull back and, okay, this is what God says about lying, and this is what it does to our heart. Like we're all that way in some form or fashion, and we think it's okay, but you're not only lying to men, you're lying to God because Satan has filled your heart. That should grieve our spirit. That should grieve our spirit. And this is what's happening. This is what started to happen in the church. It's what we're guarding against. Paul speaks about it often as well. He says, be on your guard. Be alert at all times. And as a church body, as believers, as leaders here, we're on our guard for what Satan is wanting to do to disrupt what God is already doing in this place. And we will not, we will not give in to the words and the, 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 the lies of Satan. We will give in to the promises of Jesus. And we'll be faithful in that because we see what it does to dismantle a church when we move from spirit-filled, that's what the church started as, when we move from spirit-filled to then being self-directed, meaning we want it for ourselves, we move into dangers, we move into difficult territory in our lives individually, but also in his church. When we find ourselves saying what we desire more than we ask ourselves, what does God desire? We're in dangerous territory. When our prayers have more of God, this is what I desire, this is what I want. More so than saying, God, what do you want of me and from me? We move into dangerous territory. That's what started to unravel within the church. It's this ugly portrait of two people who violated the integrity of the church. And we move from the sharing of the saints to the sinning of the saints. That's what took place. And I can't help but to think that some of the time that Ananias just simply wanted to have credit for being some godly man when really he was not. Ananias, his name means gracious, Sapphira means beautiful. So you think about that. Gracious and beautiful come before the church. And it couldn't be any farther from the truth. They kept back some of the money for themselves. As a result, deceit, greed, hypocrisy interrupted the victorious progress of the people of God. Those are some of the results of being filled with Satan. That's what happens in our life. Right, And I know it's not fun to say, oh yeah, I've got deceit, I've got some envy, I've got some jealousy. But when we, stop to, when we stop identifying those things as being from Satan, as being sinful, we start to, to, to basically say, oh, it's not that big of a deal. And so then we actually make it okay within our own lives because we make it so small because we don't want to feel guilty about it. We don't want to be convicted about it. And so we just act like it's not a big deal. It's a big deal. God calls us to be holy as he is holy. Had that Bible study last night with my kids. First Peter. 
He says, be holy as I am holy. What does that mean? We need to talk about that. So Peter confronted him. He says, why has Satan filled your heart? And he even says, why not remain unsold? Did it not remain your own? It was under your control. He's basically them, no, listen, you could have given a part of it. Just be honest about it, but you weren't. And Peter could discern all that was happening. And he says, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? They were hypocrites and they were phonies. And so much about this is, is really about hypocrisy. Some people say, well, I'm never going to go to church. It's full of hypocrites. It is and always will be. So I tell you all the time. Don't get upset with me, but you're all hypocrites. I am too. Right? Because we all have sin in our life. The joy of that is knowing that God redeemed us. That's why we go, oh, yeah. That's why we get to celebrate life and know that the joy will always be greater than the grief, right? And know that the comfort will always be greater than the turmoil. Because of that very thing, it's such wonderful hope and message and love and grace and peace that Christ has lavished on his children. But they're all hypocrites. Hypocrisy is that dirty sin that creates the impression that we're spiritual when we're really not. why God, I think, gives us discernment so we can know who's authentic and genuine and who is not. And because we're sinners, you need to know we will always drift toward hypocrisy. You know, that, 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 that gravitational pull will always be there. Well, I would rather recognize it and say, okay, well, I know it's there, so let's cope with it and let's deal with it. Let's call it out so that I can guard myself, so that I can be alert against anything that might pull me away from what God desires. And so these things are happening within the church. And, and here's a, a really easy thing to, to, to be able to kind of wrap our minds around. Here's Barnabas, end of chapter 4, and then you have Ananias and Sapphira. Barnabas had the proper view of God. Barnabas had the proper view of God, leading to humility and an opportunity to join in God's work. People talk about humility all the time. Here's what humility comes from. Humility comes from a proper view of who God is. And as a result of that, you now have a proper view of self. Our, 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 our view of self should always come out of our view of God, not the other way around. And so Barnabas had the proper view of God leading to humility and an opportunity to join in God's work. But Ananias and Sapphira saw an opportunity to improve their own worldly standing. And they had greedy hearts. They wanted to better their own agenda while Barnabas wanted to join in God's agenda. What a difference. And so here's this marvelous church doing all these great things and people are sharing with each other and they're giving and they're praying and they're worshiping God. Thousands and thousands and thousands of people are coming and flooding in and professing faith in Jesus Christ and then Satan gets into the middle of it and he says, you know what, I'm going to give them so much greed and so much jealousy and so much envy, I'm going to mess it all up. And he can mess up as much as he wants. But I will tell you now that our God will be victorious. And we need to remember that for the church. We need to remember that for our own lives. 
I think they just wanted the approval of others. And they wanted God to jump in to their life and do for them rather than jumping in to God's movement. We're inviting you today really to jump into God's movement. To jump into God's movement. Not to hold back, just to jump in through prayer and through giving, but also through sacrifice. In chapter 5, verse 5, God, God's action was swift. He just fell down and he breathed his last, just like that he dropped dead. I mean, here's sin. Sin's a spiritual cancer, okay? And, and so this sin is just so thick and deep and rich in his life. He drops dead right there and he's done. And they just carry him out. This is not the Jewish way at all. They, it just says the men arose, verse 6, covered him up, carried him out. They buried him. Usually it had been several days of waiting. People would come and grieve together. And think about Lazarus, right, when he died. And people were coming to, to grieve. And they would have these days of being able to do that very thing. Well, with this guy, none of that, right? They just take him out and they bury the guy. And then in verse 7 and following, it says, After an inter interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what happened. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And he said, yes, for so much. But Peter said, how is it that you have agreed together? They agreed together. That's so dangerous. When you have someone that is encouraging you to pursue self rather than Christ, run away. Because they fed off of each other. We often feed off of each other. And they were feeding off of each other. And it says they agreed together. We agreed together to test the spirit. That's what he's asking. How have you agreed to this? To test the spirit of the Lord. Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door. And they will carry you out. You gave away your soul. Immediately she fell down and his feet breathed her last. And when the young men came in and found her dead, they carried her out, buried her beside her husband. And once again, it tells us that great fear came upon the whole church. You think? <laughs> because there, when you were in the church, you were, I mean, you were sold out for Jesus. There was no partial taking. It was either you were giving everything to Christ or you weren't. It was one of the two because the sacrifices you would have to make if you were really sold out, you knew that they were great. And so you couldn't do part way. You were either in or you were out. And these people were out. She even had an opportunity. Tell, tell me if this is true. This is what Peter says. Tell me if this is really what took place. She comes in three hours later. Tell me if this is what happened. And she had an opportunity to tell the truth. Why are we so quick to defend a lie? Because why, why does a lie come? Because it's, it's, it's the festering of Satan, right? It's sin. And that, that, that facilitates for more sin. And it just keeps growing. Why? Because sin is a spiritual cancer and it keeps growing. Why are we so quick to defend a lie and not the truth? What if we defended the truth of who Jesus was as much as we defended the lies that we tell? She had an opportunity and she didn't take it. She didn't take it. 
She didn't jump into God's movement. She wanted God to jump into her movement. And in eyes and Sapphire, they were consumed by the desires of the world. And I think that's why I'm so amazed at what's happening at Chapel Point. Because Chapel Point knows the presence of Satan. We know who he is. We know that he is the, the, the great accuser. We know that according to John 8, that he is the father of lies. But we will not listen to him. We will abide, John 15. We will abide in Christ, Romans 12. We will be transformed by the renewing of our mind. We will be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Why? Because we know that it's in that, is that that's our spiritual act of worship. And as great as Satan may come in and as great as the world may come in and say, you can't do what you're doing, we know that God can do all things. That's why we look at people and we say, have you met my God? That's what God is doing in this place. I'm amazed at what God is doing at Chapel Point because people are desiring to give their life to Christ, to give their families to Christ. I think about all the people who have been baptized right here. In fact, if you've been, I'd like, you, I'd like to do this real quick. If you've been baptized in this church, will you please stand up? Awesome. Thank you. What we're about at Chapel Point is learning from Acts 4. And we want to be the church of Acts 2, Acts 3, Acts 4, where we're all coming before God. And we want to learn from Acts 5 and go, we will not be that church. We don't want to ask God to jump into our movement. We want to jump into his. And it's a much better place to be. Amen. And that's what we're running for. That's what we're running toward and all that we do. That's what you're doing. As I get phone calls and, and I've got some of you saying, hey, I just shared my faith for the first time. And I go, yes. And then you say, I had no idea what I was doing. I go, that's awesome. And we figure it out together and we pray with one another because we're running toward the movement of God and all that he's doing. I want to show you some pictures of some things that God is doing in this place. One of the pictures that you see here as we look at these is that baptism, right? That opportunity of what it is to celebrate who Jesus is. Another picture would be all the kids. This was taken quite a while ago, but it just shows a picture of the, the kids that we have. And guys, we, we have that opportunity. Pastor Luke was speaking about that before and the opportunity that he and Catherine have to bring in kids. And he really can't imagine that he gets that opportunity. Well, we get that opportunity to build Christ into other children. And it's such a joy for us to know that we get to teach them and they get to learn the word of God. Another one would be looking at the Bible studies that are taking place. This is one of the women's events, I believe, uh, I say that because I see nothing but women. Um, <laughs> but we have that with men and we have that with women and we have that with children and we have that with students. And I think about how this place is being used not to ask God to jump into our movement, but for us to jump into his movement. Another would be right here with our worship. We're blessed to have an amazing worship team, so many of them who come and to lead us. But it has nothing to do with those guys. It has to do with an opportunity to call out Jesus Christ. 
to jump into God's movement, to jump into all that he is doing. And that's why we're in the midst of all this campaign stuff. We're not building for us today. We're building for the people who aren't even here right now. If we only did for what was us, then we would be doing very little in life. We're doing for those who aren't even in this place right now. We're doing for the children who aren't here, the families that are not here. That in five years from now, they'll be here. In 10 years from now, they'll be here. And in 20 years from now, they'll be here. And they'll be discovering who Jesus Christ, even though our, our society and our nation is running away from God, we will always be running toward him. We will be asking for God to allow us to jump into his movement rather than asking him to jump into ours. And so that's why you see pictures like this of a new facility being constructed with the chapel and to have for prayer nights and to have for weddings and, and memorial services, but also for different events throughout the week and a gathering space because half of us need to gather in here even though others are trying to come in because we don't have enough room out there. And you think about all the kids that I mentioned before that we have coming and that opportunity that we have. Right, you think about Easter being your big Sunday, right? Well, we now have as many kids coming on a Sunday as we did two Easter's ago, meaning it's just consistent. It's all the time. Two weeks ago, we had more kids in this place than any other time we've ever had other than this last Easter. Like it just keeps coming and coming and coming. And then you think about the worship we get to have with one another. And to have a space that involves more people coming and sharing together. That's what God is doing. That's what God is doing. And we want to be a church that learns from his word. We want to be a church that learns and goes, you know what? We don't want to be consumed with self. We don't want to ask God to jump into our movement. We want to jump into his movement. And that's what this is about. So Pastor Nathan is going to come out and we're going to have an opportunity to just focus and to pray and to think about what God's doing in this place. And I want to I pray with you and for you. I want to pray for us. Um, let's just say I didn't sleep a whole lot last night. Lots of coffee coming into this. Because I'm just, I've been overwhelmed. Here's the reason. I've been overwhelmed at what God's doing. Overwhelmed. Do you know we've already had almost $3 million now pledged? To this I don't know if I was supposed to say that but I did it's because people sacrificing like I get the phone calls like what if I do this or what if I do this I go yeah I mean you don't need a vacation one person I was like you don't need a home come on move in with us and people are sacrificing Because they're striving to be a part of God's movement rather than asking God to be a part of theirs. God's, it's hard for me to sometimes verbalize it. But God is asking us to do more than you know as his church. There are so many ministries that we're a part of right now, if you want to know about them, you'd be amazed at all the things we're trying to do. Jump back there to Connection Point and learn about it and ask questions. But God's wanting you to be a part of that. 
It's not just for a few people to jump in and for you guys to watch. We're all running and jumping in and playing the game together, asking to be a part of God's movement. Today we get to jump into God's movement. God, I come before you in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. And I thank you for the opportunity to be a part of your movement. May we not become distracted with envy or jealousy or hypocrisy, trying to look different than we really are. May we simply come before you, O Lord, and be honest and to be real and to know, truly comprehend, to digest, to process what you've done for us. Because when we get what you have done for us through your son, Jesus Christ, in the forgiveness of sin, in the grace and in the mercy in which you have just rained down on us, God, it changes our life. It changes the way we parent. It changes the way that we're a spouse. It changes the way that we speak to people and the decisions that we make. It changes everything because we have been transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for that. Thank you for allowing us to jump into your movement as you do more than we could ever imagine. And for some of my friends out here today, they're going, Joel, you don't understand. I don't get it. I don't want it. I don't want to be a part of this. I don't see how God can use me. God, remind them that they are your son or your daughter. And that you have more in store for them than they could ever imagine as well. That you have more in store for them in being bold and in sharing their faith and in calling out every sin in their life and coming before you knowing that you have brought redemption you have brought restoration and you have brought passion and grace and love and joy that will always be greater than our worldly grief God thank you for using us to do more may we not worry about what those are doing around us May we simply be obedient to what you're asking from us personally, individually. God, may we be faithful.